Welcome to Single Mom Stories with Kelly Travis, a show that brings you stories and conversations about life as a single mom, the mess and the beauty and everything in between. Well, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Single Mom Stories podcast. I have another guest for you today. We're on a roll and I'm so excited about this one. Let me tell you, I've been having so much fun having conversations with moms lately as it is. And this one is no different. Before I dive in and tell you about my guest, two reminders. One is if you're not hanging out with me on the socials, be sure to come hang out. I mostly am on Instagram, if I'm being honest. And you can find me at Single Mom Stories Podcast there. You'll find updates about the podcast and other fun stuff over there. I do have a Facebook group called Single Mom Stories. If you want to hang out with me over there, that's really kind of a place where we can check in with one another. I'm going to get more active there. And I'm just trying to figure out how to utilize that space so that it's the best use of everyone's time. I don't love to like encourage people to be on social media all the time. So I'm trying to figure out how to use it where it can be a place of support. But like, you know what I mean? Anyway, that's where we're hanging out. You can also just go to the website, singlemomstories.net. And that's where everything is. And then if you're interested in becoming a guest or you know someone who could potentially be a guest, there is a form to fill it out if you are interested. So check that out. And then of course, if you're enjoying these episodes, definitely send me a DM or reach out to me in some way and let me know your takeaways and what you're loving and maybe what you want to hear more of. I'll be bringing in experts and there is a single dad coming on soon. So we've got way more in the pipeline for everyone who is enjoying this. Okay, I think that's it. All right, let's talk about our guest. Her name is Natasha Steer. She is a teacher. She is the parent of a 18-year-old, pretty close to how old she was when she had him at the age of 19. And we talk all about that, having a child at a young age, what that was like for her, navigating that all the way to commuting to university with a toddler two hours each way. And you know, at that age, there's all kinds of tantrums and all kinds of things happening. Then out of college, deciding to take a job and moving to China to teach there. The loneliness of just the two of them after leaving their support system behind And also the amazing experiences they got to do together in terms of traveling and experiencing new cultures so much. And when Natasha speaks, you can just tell that the bond she has with her son is so strong and so amazing. So we talk about it all and where she's at now and how he's doing now and what that looks like. And I'm really excited about what's next for Natasha. Her son is flying the nest, so to speak, right? Uh, We talk about what that's like for her and then what's next for her. So be sure to listen to the full episode. I'm so grateful for Natasha sharing her journey with us. Another opportunity to connect with someone and hear their story. And I just love it. So much inspiration, so much to learn from. So I'm going to stop talking. Let's dive in. Here is Natasha Steer. 
Hello, Natasha. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. So you're a teacher. Let's just start there because that's like an easy entryway into our conversation. What do you teach? So right now I'm teaching intermediates. I'm in the public school system. I'm up in Canada. I'm just outside Toronto. And I have taught high school in the past, but right now I'm sticking with the 78 age, which is pretty fun. Okay. So intermediate in Canada is elementary then. Yes, it's, it is the elementary, but yeah, I'm sticking with the older grades because I'm used to teaching the older ones. So it's a chance to sort of stay on the older side of the elementary spectrum. Okay. And what led to that change? Well, I used to teach high school in China. So when I graduated, I graduated back in 2010 and I spent a couple of years trying to find a job in my career. I, I was excited. I wanted to start teaching and that was right around the time that there were no jobs. I think it was my last year of teacher's college where they said, oh, by the way, if you're in teacher's college, that's not great for you. So not great timing. And after a couple of years, I decided that I was willing to go to an international job fair. So I went there and I ended up accepting a job. And even though I was qualified to teach elementary, it was for high school. So I just jumped in. I updated my qualifications and High school ended up being my first teaching gig. Okay, awesome. Where are you originally from? I'm from Canada. So I was born here. My son was born here. You know, we did the school here. I took five years doing two degrees. I think my son was about, he wasn't yet two years old when I went to school. So I had my son quite young. I was 19 when I gave birth and I hadn't started university yet. So I waited until he was just about two and then I started the programs. I took two degrees at the same time. And that took me about five years. Okay. So 19, were you in the middle of high school and starting college? I was at the end. So you probably, I don't know if you've had anything like this, but we had a grade 13 in Ontario for a while. And I was the last batch. So I had graduated. I had my degree, but I was basically doing a grade 13. So I was still in high school. And I was sort of doing my last year when I found out. And that was when I realized that university was going to have a little pause before I went. So what was that like? I mean, we can all remember when we were 19 and I had a whole other set of issues happening. Like I can't imagine (laughs) being pregnant or knowing what the hell to do. Where was your head at? Was your family supportive? How did that all unravel for you? Family was very supportive. And I think that that support, that is the reason we've ended up where we are. I knew from the beginning that this was going to be something that I did. I was going to have the baby and I was going to be raising him and everyone was supportive. So midway through the pregnancy, I realized that I'd be doing it on my own. And that was my choice. But, you know, in retrospect, it was the best thing that could have happened because things have been really amazing for both of us. So I'm really glad that that is the way that it worked out. And It was strange to be so young and to be in charge of a baby. I remember not that long ago, I was talking about this. It was the first night my son was home from the hospital and I was about to run out the door with two of my teenage friends and I sort of caught sight of him and I was like, whoa, you know, what do I do with with that? And my mom was like, oh, just leave him. He's asleep. It's no problem. And my mom was really easy going, which was great. And for a couple of years, my mom would say, I'm at home. So, you know, if you want to go socialize and hang out with your friends on a Friday, Saturday night, that's fine. 
So I think that was a big part of being able to have a break as a 19, 20 year old and still having the ability to go out on a Friday or a Saturday night and spend some time with people my own age. I think that that was, was really important, I think, for my sanity. In a lot of ways, I think I just sort of grew with it. You know, I don't think that I was ready to all of a sudden take care of this baby, but I think I became ready. I think that actually one thing that I'll say is I feel like in society, we sort of talk about the single teen mom as this, you know, huge detriment to their children and to society. And I can understand, you know, you, you don't have the financial, you know, you're not established, all sorts of things. And at the same time, there are many stories in which something like this happens and it actually ends up being the best thing that could have happened. It ends up being what prompts, you know, a total life shift and that prioritization. And so it was mostly my son that, okay, well, I'm a mom now. So I have to make sure that I'm making the best decisions for him. I have to decide if I'm sticking with going for for becoming a teacher. I have to decide when I'm doing that. I have to decide if I'm spending time with him. And so all of a sudden your your mind shift shifts and this is your new priority and and things just sort of fun in line with that, I think. Did it feel challenging seeing obviously you had an amazing mom who was like, I want you to still live these younger years. But they're going to college, they're doing those things and you're staying with a child. And was that a struggle for you to watch them be able to do that while you were at home? That definitely hit a few times. I remember once my closest friend was in Waterloo and there were there was sort of a group of us and we all went down. And, and again, I mean, the support didn't end with my family. My friends were amazing. And, you know, I was just looking through pictures and, you know, there they are. It's like this group of, you know, 19, 20 year olds and this baby and that that was it. That's how we were, you know, going to Center Island. One of them's got the stroller and one of them's got the kid and I got the diaper bag and it's just how it was. I think my friends were super flexible and tried to make sure that if it was a daytime thing, my son was included. If it was a nighttime thing, it was up to me to decide, you know, how to navigate that. And so this Waterloo trip that I'm thinking of, we went and I had a baby. And so I didn't go out that night. <laughs> you know, I hung out. We all had dinner together and then everybody got dressed up to bar and they waved a month and I stayed home with my baby. And you have those pangs for sure. But I don't know. I just think I, I knew that that was the reality. That's how it was. And I took the good parts of it, you know, hanging out with them beforehand and. I was probably pretty tired, so I probably didn't last too long after they left and after my son was asleep. So it was hard, but it wasn't something that I think I'd well done. Yeah, that's amazing. I feel like there, especially like when I was growing up, there was such a stigma around teenage moms, right? And obviously that has changed and and you were, what did you say, 2010 is when you... 2010 was when I graduated, but I had my son in 2003. Okay. So still those early days of there's that stigma. Did you feel much of that? Even though like you had amazing supportive family members, you had this amazing group of friends. Did it kind of insulate you from a lot of that? I definitely knew what the messaging was. And I struggled with that. I remember struggling with that walking to high school one day. And I remember, you know, I was pulled into the principal's office actually. And the vice principal basically told me, I shouldn't stick with school because clearly I wasn't going far anyway. And 
it was it was not great. <laughs> wow. It sounds like obviously that principal clearly had his own thoughts. Yeah, I, I think I was well aware of the stigma and I think that it drove me to try to displace it a little bit. And that, you know, was a different kind of pressure in a lot of ways because you're trying to escape it and you're trying to show that this is not me. And I think that's true with a lot of stereotypes and the single story, you know, of of any person or group of people, there's no nuance there. There's no, you know, examination of what really is going on here. And so when we get these little snippets and these sort of stereotyped ideas about a whole group of people, it's very problematic. So even me trying to distance myself from that, there were plenty of people within that group that also didn't fit these stereotypes. I was just another single team mom trying to navigate sort of a, a narrative that had been put on me. Yeah. Sounds like from very early on, the father wasn't involved. Yeah. Oh, mid-pregnancy. Yeah. Okay. So we'll touch on some of that support later, but you you decided to go back to school. I'm assuming you stayed with your parents while you went to school so you could get help. I stayed with my mom. So it was my mom and my son and I, and we stayed there with her. So I was able to travel back and forth. I didn't even have a car for the majority of my university time. So my son and I, we had a daycare on campus and the two of us went. It was usually about an hour and a half one way. And um, on really tough days and blizzards, sometimes that really was up there. And so I think I approached that as a chance to bond with my kids. You know, I knew that I'd be at school all day. And by the time you get home, you're pretty tired. So bus rides, you know, we had books, we had games, and it was just sort of a chance to hang out as long as he was having a temper tantrum, which normally he wasn't. So that was pretty good. (laughs) That was good. But um, I stayed with my mom and those two degrees, that was my English degree and my teaching degree. Those two degrees took me about five years. Five years. Okay. So you did that for five years. What would you say, aside from that commute, (laughs) one of the bigger challenges throughout that was for you? Well, I really loved that daycare was on campus. I think the challenge was, so I wanted my son's daycare to be on campus because I didn't have a car. So if he ever needed me, I wanted to be close by. And so the natural choice was to have him where I was. That became a logistical difficulty with a few things that came up. So sometimes I'd have a course at a different campus. And that would mean that my son and I would go to the first campus and I would drop him off. And then I would go take another half hour ride somewhere else. Or I'd have a teaching placement and that would be downtown Toronto. So same thing, you know, you're going out, you know, an hour and a half doing the drop off and they coming to get him. So that was difficult, but I did really loved the daycare. And I did love being close by. When it was time to study for exams, I could see him like from the library playing with his little friends. So that was pretty nice. So I think really it was just the logistics of not having a car and having a baby while you're going to school was just, you know, something that I had to navigate. Yeah. Circling back to the situation, you're going to school, you're not working, I'm assuming, because you're in school full time. How were things financially? So financially, I was getting in debt. I had a student loan. So by the time those five years were up, debt was high. And I still considered myself fortunate because had I not had access to that student loan, our lives would have looked very different. So 
that's what I was doing. I was living off of borrowed money and I was grateful to be able to have that opportunity. I don't, I don't know that. I, I mean, not as grateful had it have been, you know, maybe free education that would have been really nice, but it was at least the ability to go to school and make sure that I was taking the courses that I wanted and, and being able to pursue the career that I wanted, despite the fact that, you know, I was pregnant at 19. I had no career. I had no savings. I had no financial ability to support us. So that was the way I did it. Okay. So you graduated in five years, which I think is amazing given that you were also taking care of a child full-time. You mentioned going to China. Right. Did you get a job right away and go to China first or? So I was trying, I knew at this point, you know, those two years in, it took me two years to try to get something before I moved to China. And I was ready to take anything, you know, I was applying to all the boards and, you know, give me a supply job, like stick me in a classroom for one day, just anything in my career. And nothing was happening. Of course, not long after I got to China, I got an email saying, come work for us. (laughs) That's the way it is. But um, it took a couple of years. And basically, I got an email one day. It was, I don't know, maybe 10 in the morning. And it said, international job fair tonight. And I was like, oh, that's not very, today, not much notice. So I spent the day trying to basically just print my resumes. Everything went wrong. I couldn't get the printers working. I, like there was ink running out of things. It was just, it took me maybe six hours to like get the resumes printed, get down to Toronto and then be there. And the job there was supposed to close at eight o'clock and I got there at six. And there were two left. <laughs> with like, what has oh happened to this job there? There were two left. And I kept myself from crying and approached one of them. And she was amazing. She said, if you had come in earlier, we were swamped. So it's empty now. So why don't we just do an interview on the spot? So that ended up being what led to China. She was sort of getting a feel for what I was looking for. And I mentioned that I had my son and and that narrowed it down. She said, okay, well, if you're bringing your son, then you have two options that have elementary schools on the same campus. So with this one or this one, and I suggest this one. So I was like, all right. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how else to make that decision. So it felt quick. It felt scary. I think she saw at a certain point, I realized like, oh, this could actually be a thing. You know, at first it was just sort of like, this is what you do. You job rent. And the jobs aren't here. And here's this email telling me that there might be jobs over there. So you go to it. And then you're having a conversation and you're like, wait, it's pretty far away. And I haven't given this any thought. So basically, the interviewer said, you know, I'm going to check out your references and you don't have to make any decisions right now. And I'll let you know if an official offer comes on the table. And it did. So then I had to, you know, really think that through. How soon did the offer come? I think that it was like within a couple of weeks. Okay. So you had had a little time to think about it before the offer. I did. Well, I had time to spiral a bit. Yes. Right. (laughs) To overthink about it. (laughs) Absolutely. Lots of overthinking and talking to my son. And I remember being very scared and very nervous. And other people in my life who are also scared and anxious, you know, were, were not necessarily helping that. But my son was super excited and... I remember thinking I was agonizing over it. Do I do this? Do I not do this? And I just had this moment of, you know, my son knows this is an option. And I laid it on the table. It's like, this is the possibility for us. 
And he so like, was I what, don't... seven at the time? He was eight. He was almost nine. So he understood. I'm thinking like I have a almost nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. So yeah, they're at that yeah. age where they can have, you can have those conversations. Okay. Yeah. And just, you know, sort of see like, is it like a heck no, like there's no chance. And I don't think he fully, you know, he said, since then, I don't think he fully got like, oh, like this, like we're doing this. Like if I say I want to go to China, like we're actually going to China. Like not a day thing. It's it's quite a move. But yeah, I had this moment of he knows. And if I'm if we're not gonna do it, you know, what's my rationale for that? Like, is it I'm too scared? Is it like I'm too anxious to take you? Or is there something else? And and I basically just told myself to try it. Said if I don't. If it doesn't work, then you come back and not, you know, even though it's a two-year contract, it's not like anyone's holding you hostage. If something really doesn't work, it's going to be okay. You'll have options to navigate that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you up and moved to a completely different country with a eight, nine-year-old. That's huge. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. What was it like? What was it initially like? How was that transition? Uh, it was definitely a hard transition. So I think we were both lonely. And a lot of the teachers who were joining the school, they were maybe around my age, uh, definitely some younger ones. But I wasn't able to go out drinking, you know, every night, basically every night and, or as often as, you know, they care to do. So that felt very isolating for me that I couldn't necessarily. It took me a few months. And when I found those people, I found them. And that's almost something magical, I think, about how we traveled and how we lived because people sort of became our family. You know, it took a few months and definitely there was this, you know, I'm lonely and he's lonely. But once we realized who we clicked with, one woman is, her name is Harmon and she like became our person, right? We were like a group of three. And then um, another friend said, she's living in Berlin right now and she was also like a core person. And so it was sort of like when I had been younger and it had that group of friends and we're, you know, carting around the stroller. It's like, yeah. we're a package deal. And the people that I end up spending time with are the people that value my son just as much as me. And so we just sort of build this different kind of family unit, so to speak. And so we did that twice because we first moved to Wuhan for two years and then we moved to Shanghai for another two years. So very similar, that idea of like, kind of reconstructing, taking some time to get to know people. And then, you know, you click with certain people and they become the people that you're, you're spending time. Wow. And so you were teaching high school and he was going to school while you were there, obviously. So how long were you there for? Four years total. So two years in Wuhan and then two years in Shanghai. Okay. What was the deciding factor to come back? Yeah, that was an ongoing difficulty. And that was maybe one of the hardest things I think about living abroad, which is that thought process and that uncertainty of life. When do we go back and do we go back? I met many families out there who, you know, spend three, four years in one country and then off they go to another country and their children learn the next language and they're always traveling. Those families had two parents and it was a lot to plan through the logistics of what you're doing and kind of do the background around what's this school going to be like and how is it going to be beneficial for him. And in the end, you know, I was feeling good about the school. It was a very small school. So they grouped the grades. There were 
you know, there was one teacher for first few sets of grades and then my son had a teacher for grades four, five, and six. And I think there were like eight kids in that class, so small, small class sizes, which was great. But yeah, you have to do that thinking through and my son had to get pulled out of French immersion. So what does that mean for him? And, you know, but he's going to be learning Chinese. Okay. But if we leave China, then what happens to those languages and that rebuilding of the family each time, you know, when we left Wuhan, we also had to leave those people. Yeah. And even before that, when you're living abroad, people are coming and going at different times and you don't have control over that. So I remember the first year that we came back, we came back for the summer knowing that we'd be going back to one. And there was a family, husband and wife, and they had their little baby about a year old, I think, Eli. And my son sobbed at the airport because they weren't coming back for that second year. So you see, you know, your child going through those emotions. And then after those two years, having to say goodbye to their peers. So that decision was sort of always ongoing for me. When we moved to Shanghai, the rationale was sort of same language. You know, you can keep the Mandarin, you can continue on with the lessons. And Shanghai and Wuhan are train right apart, so we can still come back and visit people. But it still gives us the change that we needed for a variety of reasons. For me, career-wise and like the administration, that was one of the factors. Okay. After our first year in Shanghai, I was sort of like, I was sort of ready to maybe come home. And I told my son, but my son had just done one year in Shanghai and he was adamant. He was like, we've done two years in Wuhan and now I have friends here and I want to stay. So I said, all right, let's see if I can apply to your school. Because for that first year in Shanghai, Wuhan was a breeze. Wuhan had my school, my son's school and our apartment all in the same place in the same campus. Oh, nice. It was really seamless. But Shanghai was a longer commute for my son on the bus. And I didn't love that. He didn't He didn't seem to mind, but I didn't like how much time it took away from his day. So I thought if I can go teach at your school, we can live around the corner, we can walk to school together. And that's what ended up happening. Wow. So, so many huge decisions that you two were making as a unit. You were almost partners in a lot of ways, right? I definitely wanted his feedback. You know, I definitely wanted to know what he thought about things and and I wanted to take that into consideration. So of course I had to make the final decision, but these were deeply going to impact his life too. And so I tried when I could be to be flexible and to, you know, allow for that. Yeah. Do you have any really amazing memories from the time you spent abroad with him? A lot, a lot. I think one of the things that China allowed for us to do was to very extensively travel. Yeah. Travel over there is very different than it is here. It's a lot less money to hop on a flight. You know, you can go to Japan for the weekend. You can go wherever for the weekend. It's not too far away. We had a lot of vacation time. We had fall festival, spring festival, Chinese New Year was anywhere three to five weeks. We had a lot of amazing trips. We traveled sometimes with my mom. We traveled a lot on our own. We traveled with some friends sometimes. A lot of things went wrong because I was still figuring them out. The very first time we traveled outside of Wuhan, uh, we missed our flight on the way back. And you can just picture my son and I like crying our eyes out in the airport. That's, <laughs> so without, surrounded by people who couldn't speak to us. Like I was just trying to get to the front of the line and it was just a sea of people because everyone was trying to, you know, get back at the end of vacation. So that was 
a lot. And then our first trip outside of China, I lost my wallet the very oh, first day. No. Walked straight up to the currency conversion stand and yeah, left it behind. But I don't know. I think I think those mishaps taught me to relax a little, quite honestly, you know, because we always figured it out. It always ended up working out. So it became less stressful when it happened. So I think it was the second Chinese New Year with my mom. <laughs> I can't remember if we locked, could have been both of these things, locked the keys in the van. We were driving around one of those beds in the van, or maybe the engine had stalled. Anyways, my mom was so stressed. We were going to miss the ferry. <laughs> and I just laughed my head off. And she was like, this isn't like, this isn't important. You know, you have to get serious. And I was like, this is just another thing. Like it's always happening. But, um, you know, I think we ended up traveling to 40 countries by the time we moved back to wow. Canada. It was amazing. A lot of bus rides, a lot of train rides. And, you know, some people would say, how can you afford to do that travel at a teacher's salary? But, you know, when your hotel in Cambodia is $12 a night, I mean, I was saving money compared to the standard of living over here. So it was definitely doable. So that's basically where my money went. I went to paying off that active student loan and travel. One of my favorite things was being able to surprise my son. So I think it was our third year in China. I asked him where he wanted to go. And he said, Italy, Spain, and Greece. And that was, by the way, a little bit of guilt because I'd taken him away from Wuhan. <laughs> we were in Shanghai. <laughs> like, okay, you get to choose where to go. And I told him we wouldn't have time for Spain, but we did. And I bought him a surprise ticket and I got him a, we got tickets to the FC Barcelona game. He was like obsessed with the soccer team. So those sorts of like surprises were were something that were just they felt very extravagant and like previously not something that would be attainable for me or for him. And so being able to do that sometimes and being able to sort of navigate that travel world and and get a little bit more comfortable with, you know, buying the tickets and organizing the things and planning it all out meant that I could offer some of those opportunities. So that was pretty interesting. It's such a gift, right? I mean, you think about how you started the journey, 19, no money, no college education, all by yourself. And you're at this point where you're traveling to 40 countries with your son. I mean, that's so special and such an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, thanks. It it was definitely special. It was definitely special to be able to share it with him. And I think the travel always felt bigger. I took him to a lot of like, I took him to Hiroshima in Japan so we could see the Peace Memorial. We went to Auschwitz when he was older. And like, I was able to take him to some really important historical yeah. places. And I was also able to take him to like, he was a very mischievous little boy, like very playful, very fun. So We'd gone to the Florida, I think it's Disney World. And our first Christmas away from our family, we went down to Hong Kong. And I don't even remember how it happened, but we just said, like, let's go to all of them. And we ended up going to all of the Disneys in the world, all of the Universal Studios in the world, and just whatever amusement parks we could find whenever we were traveling. And so it was just this rage, right? Like the travel was this opportunity to do some really important, serious things and also just have fun and just play and just hang out. Mm -hmm. Wow. So then you moved back. Then I moved back. And what has that been like? Uh, boring. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Canada is this big country and 
can go on a plane for a long time and still be in Canada. Yep. And I have been, you know, I have been we up to see and we did the out east road trip when my son was small before we even moved abroad. And that was amazing. And I wouldn't mind going north. That's an option too. We did travel. You know, we have traveled, obviously not during the pandemic, but before that we we definitely we went down south to South America. So that was really great. And then we would continue to travel in the summers. We have family in England. Sorry, there's a map, and that's why I keep looking at it. So, um, oh, oh, a map. We're actually yeah. gonna, yeah, we're gonna go see our um, our family in England this summer. My son's 18 now, so I asked him, you know, how long are you good for this trip? And he's like, oh, I think two weeks is good. And I was like, that is lame. <laughs> I, I think I might stay behind and go somewhere else, but I think we're gonna start there. And my mom's coming with us, so we'll do a couple weeks in, in England, and then. And then, yeah, we'll see. Um, he's always traveled with me. So if I stay behind, this will be my first time doing it with him, which is very strange. Very, very strange. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. Probably a mixture of things, but I do have friends over there. So I've already sort of connecting with people and thinking, what might I do or where might I go? So yeah, something to think about. You guys have such a strong bond and obviously a, a really strong relationship. What has that meant for you in terms of relationships, like intimate relationships for you? Have you dated? Yeah, no, sometimes. <laughs> I also get bored. By yeah. You know, the apps are fairly boring. Um, every now and then I think, oh, let's give it a try. And sometimes it's okay. And sometimes it's just boring and I can't, I can't make myself do it. So I'm open to it. I also really love my life. I will say, you know, he's older now, he's 18. So probably until he was 15 or 16, I really didn't care to, to try it all. I was like, you know what, there's time for that. And, and that idea actually came from a couple in Shanghai. They were talking about how they'd never been on a honeymoon and said, you know, but our kids are kids for however long and then we're going to have the rest of our lives. So we're just going to do our honeymoon later. And I sort of thought about that and the amount of time it often felt to be wasted in not only trying, but thinking about it. So I decided I was okay with just like letting it, you know, see what happens, see what doesn't happen. And it's been the last few years where I'm like, okay, my son is good. I, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm consciously thinking that, you know, I need to, I'm not actively parenting anymore. So it's not anything to do with him. It's just more like, do I want to spend the time and energy or how? And, you know, there are things that I really love about being single, like really love that I don't want to give up. So, yep. you know, there's a little bit of competition for anyone who comes around, like, will dating you be better than it is for me to be single? Right. And if it is great. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I don't know. For me, I can't speak for all single moms, but I think that they're definitely, you get comfortable being on your own. You get to do what you want. <laughs> you have the independence to do it. I mean, obviously you have kids, so that's a whole other thing. But I think because we recognize our time is so limited, we are very picky about how we spend it. Would you agree? Yes, I think so. And I think they read something not that long ago and it was about that sort of that idea of standards and just like not being willing to settle. Like maybe, hopefully nobody is, but just that idea of once you've had kids or once you've maybe 
you know, left behind a relationship. It's like, eh, like my standards are here and I'm not really willing to go beneath. So, yeah, you know, that's just how it is. So you have a 18 year old. He's almost the age you were when you had him. <laughs> yes. What is that like for you to even like think about that? It's very strange. It's very kind of disorienting. I don't know. I mean, he he's doing great. The pandemic was so hard for so many people for so many reasons. And doing high school, he graduated pandemic. So all of the things that are normally happening with your teenage graduation, not so much. And then he started college. So he wanted to, or he does want to go in for social work. So he wants to become a social worker. And he very consciously said, you know, I don't want to start online. I don't want to start my college experience online. So I'm going to defer from September to January. And that that was so responsible and like yeah. so in tune and, and self-reflective of this is the way I'm going to learn better. You know, I'd like to do it in person and to defer. And so we checked in with them and said, you know, is it in person? Yes, yes, yes. You know, go through all of the paperwork and all the signing and all the things. And it became a person. So that has been really tough, I think, just navigating that. But I think he he knew it all along and he already, he still knows, like, this is what he wants to do. He wants to go into social work. And this online was just one semester. It's not all the semesters. So, yeah. Yeah. So for you, having spent your entire adult life with your child... What is it like? Like he's starting to go out on his own and he's an adult and he's going to do all of those things. How are you doing with that? It was definitely a hard transition. I would say early pandemic days was when that individualizing was happening. And it was for sure hard because I was 19 when I had him and then I had this little buddy like everywhere I went. So that was super hard. And I think you know, it's something that you still adjust with. I think it's it's also very interesting because I don't know. I don't think that we really talk about that as much. But you know, the way moms are talked about in society, it's like you know, oh, you can't be too this, too this, can't be too this. But basically, you know, we're told to wrap our our entire lives around our children and to do everything we humanly can. But then they can do it themselves, and it's kind of like wait, but like I was doing this thing where I basically <laughs> made everything about you, even when I wasn't, even, you know, when sometimes we say, oh, I have to take care of myself because that'll mean I'm a better mom instead of just, I need to take care of myself because I need to take care of myself exactly. or I know. myself. Yeah. That was for sure jarring. And I think it's something that I'm still getting used to, but I think I've gotten much better at getting used to it. So I started doing a lot of things for myself, which is exciting. Okay, like what? So I went into a pottery class. So I made pottery. Yes, it's very exciting. Love it. Yes, because I used to remember when I was a little girl, I had the pottery wheel and <laughs> I've not done it since. So I was adamant that I had to do that. So I've been doing the pottery, gotten really into writing. And that's been really enjoyable. I had written before, but... I think it was the pandemic where I just wanted a morning routine. I just wanted something to be exciting when I woke up and it was writing. So I do write a lot actually about being a mom and, and motherhood in general. And that was in part because that was my entry into the writing. Even, you know, when I was writing my first book chapter, we were in Shanghai still. So it's all connected. So I've been reading a lot. I read a lot. 
I never used to exercise and now I actually go for jogs. That's very weird. Very, very weird. But it's, you know, it's not even the physical, it's the mental, it's the clearing of the mind that I love so much about that. So that's pretty great. And then, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm going to love traveling by myself this summer and maybe he won't be invited to the trip. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. How fun. Yeah. I it, love it's, it. It's, you know, there's two sides to it. There's, there's a lot of possibility and there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of good things, you know, to be able to say, wow, you actually have this time. You know, when your children are young, it's not the same. And I can now, you know, with an 18 year old say, I get to get up and make the morning whatever I want it to look like, you know, make my tea and read my book and do my little morning routine. And that's really amazing. And still continue to adjust, I think, to this strange dynamic that, you know, for years, day after day, you built with this other human. Yeah. And now they like, <laughs> they don't want to hang out with their mommy all the time. That's got to be an adjustment. I have really appreciated this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, the ups and the downs. Yeah, I love talking with you. It's been really fun to hear about your journey. And you've had such a unique experience, at least for me, in having had your child for your whole adult life. So I'm excited for you and what's to come. Although it will be challenging, I'm sure there's just so much more ahead for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lovely chatting with you. 